Attack of the Final Girls is a podcast about the horror genre, so listener discretion is advised. Please check the show notes for specific content warnings for this episode, and of course, beware of spoilers. Welcome to Attack of the Final Girls. I'm Teresa. And I'm Juliet. And today we're talking about Black Christmas. No, not the original 1970s, uh... 1974, yeah. I think? 1974 version that everybody loves. No, we're talking about the 2006 version. <laughs> <laughs> and and really, no, not the 2019 version that everybody, like, really hated. <laughs> no. This no. is the middle child. Yes, the middle child. The very 2006 very mid aughts um, is that what they is that what the kids are calling it these days the aughts allegedly <laughs> um so black christmas it was d- written and directed by glenn morgan of of x-files fame i'm very excited <laughs> any opportunity to talk about the x-files is a good day for me <laughs> um and it also starred michelle trachtenberg um mary elizabeth winstead Lacey Chabert, who I told Julia earlier, only has ever done uh, basically Hallmark movies after this. It's an, it's all Hallmark movies all the way down for Lacey Chabert. Um, Katie Cassidy, those four, they're basically the sorority sisters in the sorority house, because of course you have to have a sorority house if it's Black Christmas. And then you have Kristen Cloak playing um, character Claire's older sister. We didn't even really see Claire that much, so I didn't even read that actress's name off. Um, but you also have the house mom, um, Andrea Martin, she plays Miss Mac, and Crystal Lowe, who played Lauren. And I only am reading her name, Lauren, because she's the one who's, like, perpetually drunk, which is a really weird trope to have. Yeah, I mean, I guess they were like, oh, sorority girls, one has to be, like, the drunk one, I guess. But she was, like, so put together, though? Like, yeah, yeah, she was wearing her pajamas, but, like, her hair was very nice, her makeup was done. You would think if they were going to have a drunk sorority sister that it would be like, she'd be a mess, you know? Well, this was like, you know, this was Ott's drunk sorority girl. So you had to be both pretty, but, you know, just enough of a mess to be kind of a hot mess, but not like, you know. Yeah, that phrase is perfect, I think, for her character. Hot mess. Because she's like, She's in her pajamas because our, our movie is set on Christmas, right? It's it's like proper Christmas Day this day. Yeah. So it's set on Christmas Day in a sorority house, snowing all over the place, like to the point where it's dangerous to go out. And all the girls are kind of dressed up a little bit, except for this girl who's wearing her pajamas, but she's got like really short t-shirt on so you can see like her tanned bare midriff which was very mid-aughts i feel like the pajamas are the type of pajamas that men think women wear (laughs) (laughs) you know it's like oh yeah like women wear like these little like midriff bearing like booty short kind of thing it's like no we're wearing like disgusting sweats As close to a potato as I can be. Definitely. It's definitely a stereotype in many different ways. Like, it's not to the point where you're like, wow, this is upsetting because it's just so absurd. Yeah, it's ridiculous, but it's not, I don't know. I, I wasn't, I wasn't like, wow, I'm really mad at how ridiculous this is. I was just like, well, this is silly. <laughs> So I watch this movie for Christmas uh, pretty much every year, but in varying degrees of, like, what I'm paying attention to. So I'll just play it in the background, because um, it's one of those movies that I have on DVD inexplicably, and so I just stick it in for Christmas every year. And what an awesome opportunity to be able to do it for our Christmas episode this year. Couldn't think of a better one. I'm sure there's so many out there, but it's also, like... There are so many Christmas movies that are out there that are, like, quintessential Christmas horror. But you gotta pick one that's not quintessential Christmas horror. Yeah, yeah. Because there's so much to say about those movies that are, like, you know, the original Black Christmas. Or, you know, Silent Night, Deadly Night. Everybody does that stuff. Or the lesser-known Silent Night, Bloody Night. Which I really love. Yeah, I've only seen, like, I think the first third of it maybe one time. But I haven't seen the rest of it, so... Maybe we should, we'll, we'll have to keep a, 
uh, going uh, ongoing tally of what we're going to do for the holidays coming up. We'll keep that on the list for yeah. next year. <laughs> <laughs> or we could find another reason to do it. Like, it doesn't have to be for Christmas necessarily. Just pick. We could do an Easter one. I can't think of an Easter horror movie. There are a couple and they're all terrible. Passion of the Christ. <laughs> That's an Easter horror movie. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's scary. It's bloody. It's violent. It it's is. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> that should be the that should be the title the of the episode. <laughs> that episode. <laughs> uh, but our so it's I mean Black Christmas doesn't have a whole lot to it. It's not a complex plot. Uh, you've got a handful of girls, all of your archetypal, you know, stereotypical sorority house chicks in a sorority house with the house mother. They're snowed in, but. A dangerous serial killer, or I'm sorry, spree killer, who (laughs) had prior lived in this home, has busted out on Christmas Day, and he's coming back to the house. So now that part, that sort of premise is the same premise as the original film. And John Carpenter has actually said that that was, I don't think the straight up inspiration, but sort of spurred him forward to make Halloween that mm-hmm. that whole idea of a serial killer that is associated with a specific holiday or day sort okay. of going on their next killing spree on that day once again. Oh um, cool. Yeah. Makes yeah. sense. And a lot of people credit the original. The the whole like what is the first slasher thing is like super, super debatable and sure. it's a very nuanced argument. But the original Black Christmas is one that gets thrown in the running often, along with Psycho and Texas Chainsaw and then of course Halloween. Sure. Cool. Well, this one follows right along with that same kind of premise. We have some technology thrown in though that we weren't we didn't have in the original, like cell phones. Um we have computers. We have some weird red herrings that I don't remember being in the original. But the original, I really feel like, has a completely different um, like vibe and tone to it. It's much more serious, much more Definitely. dark um, and intense and kind of like on the edge of your seat almost, like in terms of a thriller. Maybe not as much tension, but like towards the end, it definitely builds. This one is like, it's a romp. It was kind of panned when it came out, but it is so ridiculous and so much fun that when the two of us are going back through it now, where there's some storytelling choices where we were like, meh, sure. <laughs> but on the other hand, like what we were talking about as we were going through it, it, it certainly is inspired. Yeah. And you can tell yeah. like lots of things that they were deriving from. The story of like the escaped killer and uh, returning to your, you know, your home or your area of importance is classic. So we return to that. Um, you've got Billy Lentz. He escapes from the asylum and returns home somehow. Does he get a car? We don't know. He's apparently in pajamas with no shoes and gets through the snow to this semi-out-of-the-way house. I mean, again, like, that's sort of the Halloween thing. Yeah. You know, in subsequent Halloween movies, they kind of explain, like, oh, the ambulance crashed or, or this or yeah. that. But, I mean, even people even call that, you know, with Halloween and with sort of all of our classic slashers. Like, so this guy knows how to drive? Yeah. Or- <laughs> you just have to suspend your disbelief. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's like, somehow he's gotten from point A to point B. He gets there, and now we have... Honestly, I think it's kind of cool, this game of cat and mouse between the sorority sisters who are aware of the legend of Billy Lentz, but not not totally clued into the whole myth. They kind of, like, get bits and pieces as they go along. But, like, they also don't know that there's anything wrong at first. Like, they're, they're kind of like, that's weird. This girl didn't come down from her room. That's weird. Here's an extra present. Uh, that's weird. The phone thing. Somebody weird called us. Like, they don't really get clued in into the fact that something bad is going down until kind of much further on than we do. So that's kind of nice to see uh, characters kind of kept on their feet. And the element of surprise is still there because you're like, okay, when are they going to figure it out? Right. Are they all going to figure it out at the same time? Maybe, maybe not. Yeah. And we get a lot more 
background for Billy in this one than we do in the first one. In the first one, the scariness kind of comes from the idea um, that a lot of slashers and horror films do, that this is just this person doing these horrible things and we don't know why. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're this menacing figure, but we don't know we don't know anything about what's motivating them, what's driving them, etc. This one goes in the opposite direction for better or worse sometimes yeah. and gives Billy a fully fleshed out uh probably to too much detail yeah. backstory um like Bates Motel before Bates Motel kind yeah, of. Totally. Have you seen this one before? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, only a couple of times though. I watched the original mm-hmm. many times, mm-hmm. but yeah, I've I've watched this one a couple of times. Okay. This one definitely as I'm sure we'll point out in the show notes, it has some pretty heavy child abuse and uh incest which yeah. is it's tough and especially in a Christmas horror movie, you're not really looking for that. So I think it can be kind of disconcerting. Yeah, and the way they kind of framed it in this one, where it was, you're getting these scenes of, you know, pretty obvious, like, they weren't, they weren't really um, leaving much to the imagination, like, they were doing the typical thing of, like, leading you right up to the moment and then cutting, but even that lead up, like, went pretty far in certain regards, but then it was juxtaposed to some, like, really ridiculous stuff in his backstory Mm -hmm. that didn't need to be there quite honest like it's pretty horrific on its own Mm -hmm. um but the thing i'm specifically referring to is that we get these chunks of billy's backstory kind of scattered throughout the movie typically juxtaposed with a modern character sort of sussing out the little bit of billy's legend that we know or that the modern characters know and from birth he is jaundiced and they really like they like put a baby in yellow makeup. (laughs) Yeah. And I don't, you know, I don't know a lot about jaundice. I'm no medical expert here, but certainly, like, that's a pretty common issue that babies face, and they seem to be able to solve that in hospitals. Like, they put them under the little light, and they're they're good. Yeah. But this gets a little over the top. I compared it to Sin City. Like, they have that character, the yellow bastard in Sin City, who is, like, straight up, like, in a black and white movie is like this shining yellow and Billy is kind of the same way. He's yeah. kind of lit and portrayed the same way, which is a little ridiculous. Yeah. You're asking me. And, uh, definitely perpetuates the whole idea that if somebody is disabled yeah. now I'm using disabled in that I'm, I think that we're supposed to perceive in the movie that he is disabled. Although jaundice is something very treatable, Yeah, but I don't know. I I mean, maybe there are types of jaundice where, like, you're not... I don't really want to go super deep into that, but they portray him as being disabled, and then, of course, he is the bad guy. Like, everybody's afraid of him. Like, it seems like his mom is afraid of him, and so she's like, you're not the kid that I wanted because you have this happening to you, so now you're the villain. Yeah, you're very outwardly different than other people so we're gonna further other you and then portray like set you up to be a villain yeah and then there's a very weird choice that they're like the mom is cheating on the dad and so the mom has to kill the dad and get a stepdad where she was like well she you know was cheating on him with the boyfriend and then that became her husband yeah and then like her life is still crappy after that and it's like do we really need to know all of this yeah <laughs> do we yeah. really n- need to know all of this is this supposed to tell us like this is why billy is so uh is so violent because he saw his mom kill his dad and it, and he loved his dad which is clear because he keeps that picture that like army picture of him or marines picture i think actually of him and also you get a lot of shots of his dad's like marine vietnam lighter mm-hmm. which i thought was really weird i was like why do we keep seeing the slider? And and I don't know. I don't think it ever comes back into play, even though there's like lit no, candles. It yeah, I don't even think they use that lighter to light the candles. They don't. And the thing I was wondering because it had been a while since I had watched this one until we just sat down to watch it is they kept getting these shots of the inscription on mm-hmm. the lighter, and I was like, oh, is this gonna mean something? Nope. 
it meant nothing. Yeah, it's just supposed to show you that the that it came from Vietnam. Like it was an inscription yeah. of a place, like a state, a place where people would be stationed in Vietnam, and then the outline of Vietnam on the lighter. But that's it. No other dad references. No other lighter references. Like nothing else. It's just a really weird tie-in. Like, yeah. why are we spending so much time? Cool shots, but yeah, no substance to them. Mm-hmm. Kind of weird. Mm-hmm. I don't know. One of the things I think that's most apparent in the movie, and the first thing that we even talked about, was the low-angle shots. This movie was shot very strangely, and so Glenn Morgan was the director, and he had previously done Final Destination 3, and then had done a lot of television work. And in thinking about his television work, I guess I can see where some of these shots are coming from, Mm -hmm. and yet... They felt really out of place mm-hmm. in in this. Um, a lot of very low angles, a lot of very high angles. And, you know, like going back to that whole film school adage, like, mm-hmm. you know, you shoot someone up to make them look powerful. You shoot someone uh, down to make them look vulnerable. Like that's, you know, one of the oldest shot sure. tricks in the book. But these were extreme angles. Mm-hmm. And they, I don't know, I thought they felt really out of place. I think also one of the rules that you're supposed to use is that you don't overdo it. Like, you're not constantly, you use those, like, uh, low or, you know, extreme angle shots to uh, build tension or convey a certain emotion. Mm -hmm. But you're not supposed to do it the whole movie. Yeah, it's the the same principle with using, um, and Hitchcock was really well known for this, like using shadow on a face. Mm -hmm. Like if you want to show that somebody is feeling trapped, for example, you might shoot them where they have like the shadow of blinds. So it almost looks like prison bars on their face. And Hitchcock was like really, I don't know that he was the first to do it, but he was very well known for doing things like that to sort of set up the tropes in his film. But mm-hmm. that's the exact principle, is you do that too many times in a film and it just looks really tired and right. and you're forecasting too much to your audience. Right. You want to plant the seed in their heads, but not make them actively think about it, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that and, like, <laughs> climbing all over the inside of a room just to shoot something yeah. pretty minute is... Uh, it's like it's kind of exhausting because then it's like okay well when we do hit the like power scenes you know like the real the ones that are supposed to be very scary or convey a lot of like you know a lot of plot is happening or whatever you're like oh well they didn't do that for this yeah so what (laughs) what are we doing here in talking about the filmmaking in this, I did like the sort of deep saturation of the colors, like really um, high contrast lighting. Mm-hmm. We both noticed that there were a couple of scenes where they did a lot with red and it almost felt like an homage to Dario Argento. I don't know if that was intentional or not, but I, you know, you kind of got those shades of like Profundo Rosso and and all the Jolio films. Um I like that. And I think that was definitely the style Mm -hmm. then. I mean, I'm thinking very specifically of the Final Destination films. Mm -hmm. They're like that real high saturated early aughts kind of look. But it that worked to me, especially Mm -hmm. with all the Christmas lights. Yeah, I really like the way that they use the Christmas lights and how we have like, when Billy's first born, we have that really high color blue, the silver tinsel tree, which... I'm sure younger people have no idea what we're talking about, but <laughs> they sell them at Target now. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> they're back. So they're like you know like a white tinsel tree, and then you focus, you shine a, a different colored light on them, and as as the colors change, the the whole tree you know looks a certain color. So they do that, and it's like very blue purple, and it's supposed to be reflective of that lamp that's on Billy. But as we go along, we get a lot of um, just red and green like flicker lights. But they do a really, really good job of making it um, dramatic. Like, there's a lot of high, like, dramatic lighting where, like, the green is a little toned down, but the red, when that red flashes, it's like, boom. It's it's definitely a pop of color. Yeah. Yeah, that was really nice. It's really cool. It does feel like an Italian film. Like, it does feel like Italian horror. Like, that was inspired by that. Maybe not so much the angles. Like, the angles just felt kind of maybe like they were trying to be really edgy. Yeah. Like, okay, we're going to go low angle on this one. Okay, now we're in the ceiling. And sometimes it it's good because we are looking from Billy's point of view. We're looking down. 
but I don't even know how many times we actually use that to get Billy's point of view. Like the one scene I'm thinking of where they like go from really low angle up into the ceiling. I'm not sure that Billy is actually tracking the girl that we're following. I don't know if we're supposed to be from his point of view. I don't even know if he's there at the house yet. I don't think so. The only thing I can think is maybe they were trying to fake us out because so much of this movie is about red herrings and fake outs. And so what it could be is because at that point, I mean, people knew the original and, you know, people kind of knew like, oh yeah, there's, there's a killer lurking around and he might be in the attic, especially given where that came in the film where you've got Eve, the, Mm. the one roommate who they kind of set up as a red herring. You've got the, icky 35 year old boy he wasn't really 35 but i call him 35 because he looked 35 the 35 year old boyfriend who's also set up as a red herring i think maybe that was just another sort of fake out like is somebody watching okay is somebody there is it this person is it that person you don't know (laughs) that speaking of um red herrings there are so So many. many there are so many and In talking about it afterwards and, like, kind of through the movie and, like, oh, that's obviously a red herring. I think some of them were so ham-handed that I just, like, completely blew by them as a red herring. Where I was like, no. Like, Eve. You mentioned Eve. So, (laughs) Eve is, like, the nerdy girl. The girl who, like, freaks everybody else out because she somehow sneaks up on them. Even though she's down the stairs, everybody's face. She goes down the stairs, everybody's facing she has super thick Coke bottle glasses. Yep. And then she is giving a gift because all of the sorority girls kind of like go do a gift exchange. She's giving a gift that's wrapped in old newspaper, just like Billy had given his guard. And she's wearing mustard yellow gloves, which makes it look like she has jaundiced hands. And then she gives this gift. And it's this huge glass unicorn with the biggest, most ridiculous <laughs> horn on it. Perfect for stabbing. (laughs) Which it gets plenty of use in that uh, regard. So well-used Christmas gift. Thanks, Eve, for that. I I got that one a little bit more than some of the other ones, but it's just so ham-handed that you're like, obviously it can't be this girl. Right. You're not even subtle about these things. Yeah. And um, who else? Oh, the sister, Claire's sister, who comes out of nowhere. I don't know if, if it's just me, but... She's supposed to be, I guess, another red herring. But Mm. the parts of that, it's just so weird. Like, she comes in, she says her name, but she can't prove her name on her driver's license because her driver's license has a different name on it. So the house mother's like, well, what the heck? And she's like, oh, well, I haven't had it changed yet. Or some divorce or something like that. Either she got married or divorced. I think it's divorced. She's like, oh, you're from this sorority house. What year did you come in? She's like, I don't know, 93, 94. And the house mom's like, that's weird. I started in 93 and I definitely don't remember you. So she can't possibly verify her background. Claire at this point is dead. So she has, we have no idea how we would be able to do that. And it almost felt like they were leaving it open-ended Uh, like open-ended to the point where maybe the sister could still come like the older sister i think her name is lee yeah could come back and like actually be part of it well yeah especially because she says oh well claire's my half sister and they made a very a very big deal of emphasizing that claire is my half sister and we have this huge age difference and we didn't really grow up together like by the time she was 12, I was in the sorority house. Yeah. And the photos that they have, because they, they kind of like do um, one of those things where Lee is kind of talking and they're showing like photos. She doesn't even really look like her half-sister in the photos. I don't know if it wasn't supposed to be her at all or if it was just like they had to find old pictures and they were like, well, it's good enough. We're not going to Photoshop. We're not going to even cut and paste at this point. <laughs> we're just going to leave it as is. They weren't into de-aging people in 2006. <laughs> yeah, because they're like, well, this is going to look terrible. Yeah. So, but yeah, it just, like, it was such a weird misdirect that, it, honestly, it went completely over my head that that was even supposed to be a red herring. I was just like, why is this lady here? <laughs> yeah, who are you? Why are you here? Yeah. What other red herrings were there? Well, the oh, boyfriend. The boyfriend, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> The boyfriend, who's just a terrible piece of crap, but not really for any, like, 
good reason because they don't even make him a convincing red herring. No, he's just an icky dude. So he's um at towards the beginning of the movie, he's like making out with this one girl in his car with a blonde in his car. Her name's Kelly in the movie. But she's making out with this dude and he's like, "Oh, let me uh, stay with me or whatever." I'm your family now, (laughs) which is so cringy. Super cringe. Super cringe. And just, like, too, he's, like, whining. And she's like, yeah, I want to spend Christmas with my sorority sisters. And then, like, other than me going to work, we're going to have a whole week of Christmas break together. And he's like, but what about me? And I'm like, ew, you control freak, go away. (laughs) Yeah, so he's uh, he's certainly not a redeemable character by any means. Um, and he looks much older. And then he leverages the fact that he lives in this town and, like, he's a townie for this college. And, like, throws it all in these girls' faces. He's like, you rich, you you rich girls, you guys just come here for a couple of years and then you get to leave? I have to stay. And it's dun, like, dun, dun. like, cool, <laughs> yeah. I guess. Like okay, can you go to college? Like, you get in-state tuition. I mean, maybe he doesn't have the means to go to college, but on the other hand, probably not a situation where you should be, first of all, dating one of the girls who are going to college, because he definitely looks way too old for that. And making sex tapes with the girls yes, who go to the college, and not just, like, his current girlfriend, but... At least one of her sorority sisters, and it is basically, you know, he says sex tapes, and they make a point of Kelly being like, tapes? <laughs> Plural? <laughs> Multiple Wait, tapes? Are you saying more than one? Um, yeah, so that that's like his whole story is that another one of her sorority sisters gets a, I don't know, an email, something... But she sees a video of her having sex with Kelly's boyfriend. And she's obviously upset by this. She's extremely upset to the point where she doesn't want to come down and hang out with her sorority sisters. And so part of the movie is this guy trying to keep Kelly away from being able to see this. Um, And we're not really sure. Like, the guy kind of gives an excuse as to why the the video got there. He says a, a guy that he works with got mad. And put the picture or put the video online. Who knows? Is that how it happened? I don't think it is. Because <laughs> to me, I thought it was like a revenge thing. And maybe he was going to be like, if you don't do X, Y, Z, then I'm going to show this to my current girlfriend. That's the impression that I got. He didn't really seem like much of a trustworthy or like honorable dude. It seemed like blackmail. It definitely did. I guess we could believe what that guy says, but we don't really have any reason to. Yeah, no, I don't. Um, but it it's, like, really a whole story arc for him that... So it makes him the bad guy, and, yeah. and they have... Kelly and him have, like, this huge fight, this huge blow-up fight. The house mom, like, shoves him. She's like, get out of the house. But then later he comes back and is, like, supposed to be helpful. Yeah. Later in the movie. Like, yeah. why? Why? His help is, okay, so, like, last time, when we covered Last Night in Soho, we were talking about John, the boyfriend there, and how, like, he was actually a helpful boyfriend character, Mm -hmm. in contrast to the typical boyfriend character who comes in as, like, I'm going to save the women, and ends up ordering them around, and that's exactly what this guy did. (laughs) He, like, he comes back and is like, I'm going to help you, and I'm going to boss you around and tell you you're wrong about things that are happening in your house, like, the place where y'all live. Yeah. And I'm gonna be a bossy, obnoxious alpha male until the killer kills me. Yeah. And that's exactly what happens. He essentially is there to... I don't even really get like the whole the whole point of it. Like it yeah. it just doesn't there's so many red herrings going on. If he wasn't in it at all, it would have not taken anything away from the movie, I don't think. It would have been totally fine to not have him in the movie. I mean, there are really other than a few extras in the hospital scenes, um there are really only two main male characters, uh Billy well, and and his father and stuff in the flashbacks, mm-hmm. but Billy and this boyfriend guy whose name is inconsequential to me because I don't care about him. And Are you it, sure he didn't have one? Yeah, I I don't know what his <laughs> name was, and he, yeah, he doesn't have a name. Um, but like it would have been fine 
to just have it be to set up Billy versus the women. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That would have been fine. I think it almost could have been more effective if, like, maybe we were just post uh, Kelly. And the guy's name is Kyle, by the way. Oh, that's he, perfect. He <laughs> he apparently had uh, had both a first and a last name, although I have no reason why. I have no <laughs> idea why there would have been a last name. But anyways, um, it almost would have been more effective if Kelly had just broken up with Kyle and then we don't ever see him, and that's how he becomes, like, a red herring. That would have been better. It's oh, like, yeah. oh, Kyle said he was on his way, or something like that. Just kind of, like, little off messages. Or, like, they just broke up, and he keeps calling and texting her. Yes, like, exactly. Like, nonstop, and all the other girls are like, oh, you know, like, he needs to stop bothering you. Why can't he leave you alone? It's over, that kind of thing. Yeah. Oh, that would have been such a better movie. And, like, um, in Scream 4, where the, the guy... Um, I just watched it last night, so this is why it's fresh in my mind. But the the boyfriend character of um, Emma Roberts, her ex-boyfriend, like, keeps calling and texting. And that's, like, a whole trope. It's like, is it really him? Is he really the one texting? Is he really the one calling? It could have been really effective to do it that way. That would have been great. Um, But, like, (laughs) I I guess I'm kind of going backwards in this. But I do want to bring up the fact that at the beginning of this movie, there was a truth... uh, ad an ad for the tr- <laughs> the anti-smoking campaign can we just talk for a second about how dvds used to put a truth ad oh at the beginning God. before the before the trailers yeah that and those horrible anti-piracy ads where they're like piracy is a crime which like okay yeah like i'm i'm not into piracy for like things that are available because creators should get paid for their work but also like all these ads do is make me want to do whatever the bad thing is they're trying to caution me You against. wouldn't steal a car. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, those truth ones were particularly terrible. I remember seeing them in the movie theater. Yeah, me like, too. They don't do that anymore, but um, I can't even think of the last time that I went to a, a movie theater and I saw, like, an ad against something. It's mostly just, like, M&M's ads and Sprite Cranberry. Yeah. <laughs> it's the thirstiest time of the year. Yes. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I've started seeing anti-vaping ads, like, on streaming, like, on YouTube and stuff, mm-hmm. but I've not, to my knowledge... Yeah, I don't think I've seen any in the theater yet. That's so weird. Yeah. We'll, we'll probably get there. Yeah. Once the once the um, studios have a reason to put it in there, or the movie theaters do. Yeah, or they need, like, a credit... Mm-hmm. You know, like a, I, I don't know how this works in, in film or distribution, but like, you know, like a PSA credit. Yes, or exactly. Like that. Yeah. Um, so, so there's that. I, we watch the trailers on all these DVDs because I love trailers. I don't know why. Just a bunch of movies that you never, you know, you never, th- maybe you saw them one time and then you totally forgot about them. Yeah. For better or for worse. Well, and I always like the whole like, what is the promise of the trailer versus what the film delivers on question? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Vince Vaughn's uh, Wild West oh, comedy tour. God, what was that? I didn't even know Vince Vaughn did stand up, honestly. I was like, uh, Dodgeball, Wedding Crashers, Psycho. Yeah, the Psycho remake. Yeah, that uh, nobody watched. <laughs> but yeah, totally weird. Very That's strange. Very um, trailers and one of the other things i wanted to bring up through this whole movie no matter how much blood is shed no matter how many crazy things happen the lip gloss and the baby lights on every single girl in this movie perfect just shiny glossy lip gloss and uh hair extensions and baby lights as far as i can see it's crazy like Every every scene, I'm looking at every scene, and I'm like, not a single girl has her lip gloss out of place. I, here I am over here, <laughs> lips always chapped. Never do I have moisturized lips, and these girls have like perfectly glossed lips. I'm just like, you you guys look like brat stalls. You're- <laughs> it was 2006, so yeah, yeah. It was like the time of lip gloss. It's like, how can we make our lips shiny forever in the midst of a murder spree? <laughs> this is how you do it. And we have like highlights and we have um, girls with their nails done. And it's everybody's wearing heels in the snow, which is like 
I I think we're led to believe that this is somewhere kind of close to Boston. Like, this is where it's supposed to be, because they, they mentioned that being the closest town. And the poster that I couldn't help but notice in one of their rooms, which is for the Ravenettes, who are a great band, was for a show in Boston. Oh, okay. So, so yeah, I, I think it's supposed to be somewhere close, somewhere in Massachusetts. Okay. So, this is like a snowy, snowy place. Yeah. It's supposed to be, right? Yeah. It, it, I mean, I guess Massachusetts is fairly snowy i'd imagine yeah i'm not really sure what the weather is there never having been there but um but they're talking about like skiing and ski poles and like all this stuff but all of them are wearing heels and like when they go outside like the few times i have to go outside they're wearing like cardigans they're like it's freezing outside it's snowing like crazy and they're all wearing cardigans it's like Y'all aren't very hardy for the for the Massachusetts winters. Yeah, where are your parkas or your down jackets or your gloves, your snow yeah. boots? Like, I, I mean, granted, they're there for college, so sure they probably don't want to invest in like crazy amounts of that stuff if they're going other places. But like, you should be comfortable in the winter. And if you're at a sorority house, theoretically, you're probably walking to and from college, right? Yeah, I mean, rare is the downright creepy luxury that I had in college, which is that we had underground tunnels all over our campus that made you feel like you were in some kind of like conspiracy or something, but were very convenient in the Ohio winters getting from building to building. Yeah. And these girls don't don't have uh, underground tunnels yeah, to get no. anywhere, I don't think. So it's very, that was very odd to me that like, it, and it was filmed in Vancouver, which is very cold. Yes. It's very, it's like, that. that's Canada. That's a Canadian winter. Yeah. I mean, it could have been on a soundstage. Who knows? I don't think so. But you girls are not dressed for the winter. What's yeah. happening with that? I, I wrote that down like, where's your coat? I just said that. <laughs> where's your coat? <laughs> I, I feel like my mom, like, where, where's your coat and gloves? You're yeah. going to go out in the snow like that with a cardigan on? You're going to get pneumonia. Um, yeah, so it's just random, like, uh, Lacey Chabert's character has to go out to get to the main breaker, which is in the crawl space under the porch. Yeah, I don't. I mean, <laughs> whose, whose decision was that? Yeah, I, I mean, I don't have, like, a super old house, but my house is pretty old, and, like, that's, that doesn't seem like that's a thing. <laughs> Electrician friends, let us know. My dad's an electrician, I'll ask. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> ask your dad. Like, okay. hey, is that a normal thing to have a main breaker in the crawl space underneath your house where you have to, like, crawl to get to it? Yeah, that doesn't... It, it Like, on the back of the house, maybe, yeah. on an older house, but under the... Where it could get wet... That does not seem up to code, is what I'm saying. <laughs> it does not seem up to code. Yeah, especially if it's like, you know, they have harsh winters. Yeah. I cannot think of a time when you would have something that you need to access be so hard to access like that. Yeah. That doesn't seem... I don't know. Like a thing. <laughs> I don't know. It's just like, this is... The least, the least believable part of this whole movie <laughs> is that the breaker box was under the front porch. Well, there were a couple of things like yeah. that. Um, what you were saying earlier about uh, them walking across those asbestos ceiling tiles and the drop ceiling. Oh yeah, like you can't do that, especially two grown adults. Yeah, two of them. <laughs> two of them. Like they come crashing through. Yeah, and like you can't even like just step on the bracing for them. No. Like you would fall. Yeah, they're, they're not for people. No, definitely not. <laughs> um, therefore, like when you can access the ceiling with a ladder, right, and like do whatever you need via a ladder, not like walk across it. So we had those drop ceilings at the record store I worked at, and we would hang like t-shirts from the ceiling and we would hang them on the little beams uh -huh. between the drop tiles and even like hanging a shirt would sometimes bend those things so they are not stable oh my goodness wow <laughs> okay yeah. so so super weak but these guys are just running across them not yeah. falling through somehow in this hospital yeah wow um yeah, I told Juliet earlier there's a part where like I mean Billy spends most of his life upstairs in the attic and I was like, the 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 most unbelievable part of this is that nobody's fallen through this attic. Because <laughs> I remember, like, 
being at my uncle's house and my cousin's like, let's go up in the attic. And my aunt's like, okay, you guys can go up in the attic, but don't go further than where the kitchen is because you'll fall through the ceiling. <laughs> and then it ends up happening in the movie where she falls through the ceiling. It's great. Yeah, it was great because you said that and then it happened like maybe five <laughs> minutes later. Yeah. And, and then um, they, they're like trying so hard to not let this lady fall through the ceiling. It's like, it's like a 10 foot ceiling. Yeah. She's not going to die. Yeah. She's maybe she'll break an angle, but she's probably not going to die. But they're trying so hard like no. No. She's screaming, <laughs> clawing. It's like you're going to be safer if you just fall. I yeah. promise. Like if she falls, she could run away and get help potentially. <laughs> yes. And the reason why they don't run and go to get help, which is really strange because they definitely talk about this and I didn't even put these th- these parts together until right now. They look out the window and they're like, oh, we're the only house that doesn't have power in the well, on the whole block. I feel like that's all the more reason to get help. Yeah. And they don't ever one time, there's a whole argument about them driving away, but they never are like, hey, maybe we should go to the neighbors and use their phone or something. Not a single time. Maybe it's like a stranger situation where they're like, we can't make it to the neighbors. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> It's just like they they had so many avenues for help and they they were like, no, we're going to take the most unrealistic way to solve this problem. Yeah. They never really had a plan. Also, like phones are such a big part of this movie and at no point does anyone attempt to dial 911. Like they don't even have like, you know, the, the sort of, you know classic horror trope where you're trying to dial the police and then the line gets cut and it's like no no they don't even try oh yeah you're right yeah like everybody's got a flip phone and there's a house phone oh they so they call they try to call i can't remember if it's the cops or the ambulance but they were like oh it's gonna take them two hours to get here because the there's traffic on i-91 and call them anyway yeah exactly (laughs) yeah because I'm pretty sure by the end of the movie, we've been there for about two hours. Yeah. So, I don't know. Well, they can't get there, apparently. We just simply cannot make it. Our cars cannot possibly traverse the fallen trees <laughs> in your area. And, like, here's the thing. I I know they did try to call campus security and they were like, oh, we're short-staffed because of the holiday. But surely this college campus cannot be so remote. I mean, this isn't like Hogwarts or something. Like, it's not, you know, in some magical realm away from the rest of reality. Like, dude, stupid boyfriend man is a townie. So there's a town. Yeah. Yeah, there has to be. I mean, normally security has to be close anyways, because what if what if there was, like, a, I mean, like, in this case, a legit emergency? Yeah. What do they do? Just, just like, you're out of luck to solve it yourself? Sorry, y'all. It's Christmas. Yeah. Like, we have families. We can't help you on Christmas for your emergency. Sorry. It's your job. <laughs> One thing I definitely wanted to talk about, which we haven't touched on yet, is the eyeballs. Oh, the eyeballs. So many eyeballs. Yeah, like, if you like eyeball mutilation, boy, is this a movie for you. I don't yeah. I don't know if that's the right... I'm pretty sure that's the right term to use for it. I think so. That feels accurate, given what we saw. I'm pretty much... Any time any one of the sorority sisters is killed at a certain point, it's eye-related. Yeah. And I think it's mostly after we get that little tidbit of uh, the fact that the sister or sister-daughter... Agnes, I cringed having to say that term... Um, when Agnes loses her eye, pretty much any kill after that has to do with an eyeball. Mm-hmm. With the unicorn thingy, the yep. unicorn paperweight or whatever that is, figurine, I don't know. Um, looks like something my mom would have. My mom loves unicorns, so... I my would, grandma loved unicorns. It would yeah. definitely make sense to have that, um, in my house at some point. Um, with the unicorn thing, with the, the... Um, the poker, the marshmallow oh, the stick. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's happens at a certain point. An icicle. Icicle. There's a part where uh, Billy just yoinks one out. Yeah. And just straight up pulls one out through. He like suffocates somebody with a bag and then plucks it through the bag. 
That takes some dexterity. Yeah. Or something. Or just a lot of digging. Uh, yeah. Yeah, there's uh, there's lots of um, eye stuff in yeah. this. So the first time they did it, I thought maybe it was an homage to Lucio Fulci. Because, of course, Fulci, the, the father of the infamous slash famous slash celebrated and feared... <laughs> Uh, you know, shot of the woman with the splinter going through her eye. But they kept doing it again. Like, this movie doesn't know where to stop. Yeah. You know, they really just forecast way too much when, you know, like one one eyeball shot would be like, oh, that's a nod to Fulci. Great. Cool. Moving on. Nope. Nope. There's like at least 10. All eyeballs all the time. <laughs> all eyeballs all the way down. Oops, all eyeballs. <laughs> oh, God. And the other thing is... Like like I said, it, a lot of them happen after we get the fact that Agnes mm-hmm. lost her left eye. Can't remember which one she lost. So it would make sense if this was some sort of, like, mission for her to try and replace it. Because keep in mind, Agnes is, like, uh, a product of incest. Mm-hmm. And we're kind of led to believe that maybe she has some, like, developmental delays. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that's for sure. And... Really, also kind of interesting. I did look this up to make sure uh, there is a man playing her as an adult. I wondered. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So there's a man playing her as an adult, which I thought was maybe like, it was kind of a mean um, way to portray her as an adult. Because up until then, she's very effeminate. I didn't feel like there was a question to it. But then when she's an adult, she's played by an adult man. Anyways, it would make more sense if the whole eyeball thing was like, oh, I'm on a quest to, like, replace my my lost b- eyeball or whatever. Yeah. No. They just eat some of them and then hang a lot of them on a tree. Mm-hmm. It's just an eyeball tree. Yeah. And they, like, gouge them out. So pretty much all of the kills that they, at least the ones that they keep the bodies for, have the eyes missing. Mm-hmm. And she's got that baby doll that has no eyes. Right, right. But, like... Shouldn't eat the eyes. <laughs> it's interesting because I didn't think about it until you confirmed what I was wondering when we watched it, which is that adult Agnes is played by a male actor. Mm-hmm. Uh, <sighs> hmm. It's this almost goes along with what they were doing with Billy with the jaundice, which is that they're kind of going overboard to other these characters mm-hmm. um, and to really really plays a heavy-handed emphasis on the fact that, like, um, these characters have physical differences that then set them up to be sinister or harmful or dangerous. Mm -hmm. And that is a very slippery slip. I mean, I know it's, like, it is part of horror, if we're being perfectly honest. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the whole idea of, you know, who is the monster and all of that. But just the more I think about it, like, the combination of Billy and the jaundice thing, and then this whole Agnes thing is, I'm like, they maybe went a little... Yeah, I'm not even saying maybe. I think they went overboard on on the othering, using Mm -hmm. using physical differences to other. And, And yet, and this is, again, like, I feel like I say this with every older movie we talk about. I'm not saying this to forgive the movie of this but it was made in 2006 and i don't think people were thinking about that in 2006 yeah we definitely didn't have open conversations about things like that because you would have people saying like hey this isn't right and it's like well it's just a movie 2006 was like way before the era of i mean not way before the era but before the public had really started asking tougher questions of Mm -hmm. like filmmakers and And before I think, and I'm going to go out on a little bit of a limb here, I think before the horror fandom was ready to address some of these things writ large, I think that people who were raising these issues in 2006 and before were seen as not being true fans and were kind of ostracized from the community rather than being seen as... And yes, some people are still ostracizing people who are questioning things in horror, certainly, but increasingly you see more people who are questioning the treatment of different people and groups in horror being listened to and considered. Yeah. um, Yeah. As opposed to just being like, well, you're not a true fan. You don't understand horror. Go away. Yeah. I think um, storytelling has become 
and we've gotten to the point where we're like, okay, we're listening to what you're saying, and we understand that maybe this is lazy storytelling. Right, right. That using this commonly, you know, used trope. I mean, and this isn't just like horror movies. We're also talking action films. Oh, yeah. I mean, James Bond, the entire James Bond series yeah. is a great example. Like, how many villains and henchmen in the James Bond series have physical deformities of some sort. Exactly. Exactly. So. And, and are put up against James Bond, who is a white, cis, able-bodied, hypersexualized, idealized man. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, where these, uh, the villains are typically disabled in some sort of way. Um, you know, they're, they're often portrayed as, um, effeminate or androgynous, you know, and the list goes on and on and on. Yeah. And I mean, James Bond might have a different, it might also be like a problem of the age of a lot of those movies and the writing of the, like their source material and stuff. But we, we definitely, I think in 2006, we were getting a lot of really gritty movies because I think The Hills Have Eyes was coming out around that time, the remake. Yes. And the Texas Chainsaw remakes were happening right about then too. Right. So we had gritty, super crunchy movies that were similar to this, but had the same thing where we have, disabled, mm-hmm. um, intellectually, physically disabled people in movies, and they become the bad guy for yeah. one reason or the other with, like, no little to no redeeming qualities. And now we're, th- we're talking, like, okay, this is not right. This is not something that you can use as a trope. Mm-hmm. It's a lived experience of a lot of people, and it does not make you the bad guy. And the really interesting thing when I'm thinking about that time period is that the remakes that were happening were sort of touting themselves as being very gritty and very, air quotes, hyper-realistic, mm-hmm. and, and were sort of flying in the face of the other direction that the sort of seminal slasher franchises went, which is, yes, starting out like Jason Voorhees, for example, is portrayed as someone with physical deformities and intellectual um, disabilities. And yet they decided to take Jason Voorhees in this completely different, like, supernatural mega killer direction, not to erase those facts about him, but to almost make him transcend that. And yeah. they did kind of the same thing with Michael Myers doing the supernatural cult angle. Mm-hmm. But at the time, and I think these movies are getting a lot more love now, um, everyone was like, oh, those are ridiculous. They're played <laughs> yeah. out, you know. Yeah. Friday the 13th is is done. It's played out. You know, Freddy versus Jason is the most ridiculous thing on Earth. All, the newer, you know, this was pre, was this pre-Rob Zombie Halloween? Yeah, I but only only by a little bit. Only by a little bit. Mm-hmm. And the and the Rob Zombie Halloween was meant to be well, Rob Zombie's whole thing is like mm-hmm. real and gritty and, and, and <laughs> I, we can get into Rob Zombie some other time. <laughs> Needless to say, I don't love his movies. Mm-hmm. But it's just interesting that in going that sort of air quotes hyper realistic um direction with a lot of the films of that era, they were really setting some harmful precedents, I think. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, you can see this example happening over and over and over again. And only now are we really, like, I mean, I guess since, um, I guess you could say since Blumhouse has kind of taken over and sort of, like, set a new standard. I'm not going to say, like, the Blumhouse movies are be-all, end-all of, you know, horror films, but... They're trying. Yeah. And I think that matters. Yeah. They're not getting it right every time, certainly, but they are making an effort in their choices and in who they're having write and direct the films and mm-hmm. in just in the way they're telling stories. There's You can see more of an effort being made. Yeah, I think Paranormal Activity came out around this time and that, like, being the very first of the, like, Blumhouse, you know, big mm-hmm. box movies, uh, big box office movies, that is, um, it really kind of went in a different direction. It was like telling stories that didn't have to rely on, you know, tired tropes and um, movies that re revitalized by telling stories in a different way. So um, this movie, unfortunately, does not do that. <laughs> it, <laughs> no. it, it, there's not there's not really much new about it. And um, after we've kind of dug into it a little bit, I'm like, mm, I don't know why I watch this movie every year. Maybe just because I know what's going to happen. So it's kind of easy. I mean, I think we have to be really careful about 
like we can recognize the flaws in something, but still understand that it's like a tradition or it's a part of our like it can be both and. Mm-hmm. I think I think there is a danger sometimes with you know like every, every movie's got pro- like if that were the case like. Mm-hmm. Every movie I watched in my childhood, you know, like (laughs) I can name a thousand problematic things about all of the shows and movies I loved as a child. But like, what does that ultimately do if I'm just like, well, these are problematic. And now all of these things that have been formative or comforting to me, Mm -hmm. I have to get like, I don't know that that's the answer. I think it can be both. And I think you can like recognize like, oh, yeah, this has some big problems. Yeah. But also like. This is a thing that I liked when I first saw it, or it was a tradition, or a friend and I used to watch it. And so it's comforting to me because it makes me think of this person like that. That can be okay, too, Yeah, I think. Yeah, it's kind of like 13 Ghosts. We're we're talking about it critically now, but, I mean, you can turn it off, turn off your critical thinking brain and watch this and be like, whoa, so many people got stabbed in the eye, and that's all that you take away from it. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, like, this is not a horror film, but, like... Almost famous. That mm-hmm. movie is so important to me, and yet I'm like, oh god, those girls are supposed to be so young. Like that's <laughs> yikes, you know. Yeah. And I get the context of what they were trying to portray, but the older I get, I'm just like, oh god. And yet, it's it was such an important movie to me. So you yeah, know, it's, it's... yeah. So um, do you have any final thoughts about Black Christmas 2006? Oh, final thoughts. Um, it was it was actually really fun to watch this one again because as I said. Um, I've seen the 74 one many times. And most recently, though it's been a couple of years now, the longest and shortest time during the pandemic, um, one of the last movies we saw in 2019, you know, in sort of like the last movies before everything shut down thing at the end of 19 and early 20 was Black Christmas 2019, which maybe we'll cover one day because it's its own... (laughs) It's its own messy little monster. Um, so it was nice to see this one as as the middle ground kind of between uh, the 74, which I love so much, and the 19, which uh, <laughs> we'll just leave it at, at me mumbling to myself about <laughs> What about you? Because I know this movie is, you know, kind of a tradition for you. Um, I'll probably still watch it um, every Christmas just because a fun Christmas slasher that you can kind of turn off and just watch and think, wow, this is crazy and maybe not pay super close attention to. Like maybe I'll browse on my phone through the parts where I'm like, ooh, that's his mom or ooh, that's his sister and his daughter. Um, but also I want to say, ow, my eyeballs. I'm really glad that I have not ever had anything puncture my eyes because... After watching that movie, I feel like I got a little bit of a migraine just watching, like, so many things put into people's eyes. So, yeah, I'll probably still watch it. It's a it's a movie where if you're not thinking too hard about it, it's okay. Is it the 74 Black Christmas? Definitely not. But the 74 Black Christmas is certainly not as easy of a watch, at least not for me. It's not a it's not as easy of a casual watch, no. No. Definitely not. Yeah. It's not it's not one that maybe you can watch every Christmas because uh you'll need a couple years in between. It's a lot heavier <laughs> yeah. in a different way. It's no home alone. We'll say that. <laughs> <laughs> it's no like uh Christmas story. Although I can't watch a Christmas story anymore. I've oh, seen it. I, uh, yeah. Mm. My was it TBS or TNT that used to play it 24 hours straight? One of them. And fun fact, speaking of A Christmas Story, Bob Clark, who directed 1974's Black Christmas, also directed A Christmas Story. So weird. And I told Juliet earlier, now I know the only thing missing from the 1974 Black Christmas is a awesome voiceover. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> Just one awesome voiceover. And then I went into the house... And then I went into the attic. I don't know. I'm not even doing a good voiceover. there were eyeballs. (laughs) So many eyeballs. It just needs, it really needs a voiceover now that we know what that can add to a Christmas movie. So it would be better. You'll shoot your eye out. Oh, oh man. That was a good one. That was a good one. (laughs) Way to tie it all together. Thanks for listening to Attack of the Final Girls. 
Find us online at attackofthefinalgirls.com, Attack of the Final Girls on Instagram and on Twitter at Final Girls Pod. Our theme music is by House Ghost and available on Rad Girlfriend Records. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And tell your friends about us. I'm Julia. And I'm Teresa. Until next time, stay scary. Yeah,